Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Talk Gnosis After Dark. I am Bishop Laney, and I am with my co-host this evening, uh, Brother Jonathan uh, of the AJC, as well as our own director, uh, Father Tony Sylvia. Unfortunately, uh, Bishop Kenneth Canterbury can't join us this evening. And the topic tonight is the Gnostic Restoration. Uh, earlier this evening on the Talk Gnosis video show, we were able to uh, spend some time with Dr. Siobhan Houston, who has written a book called Peace priests, Gnostics, and Magicians, which is we believe is the only history of the Gnostic, the historic French Gnostic Church uh, that, that's currently in publication, and there may not be any other publications uh, that address... At least address, in English, anyway. At least in English, that address, uh, that, that address this. So, um, Dr. Sh- uh, Houston was unable to join us, but we are here to talk about this really interesting topic, and, and just kind of to lead in here. Uh, when people find out that I'm a Gnostic and a Gnostic clergy, people will sometimes you know, wonder, well, okay, you're Gnostic. What does that mean? What is the history of your church? And um, while the history is kind of convoluted, certainly, uh, we can point to this period in, in French history where there was a great deal of interest in esotericism and uh, a, a Gnostic church uh, was born or restored um, through the work of um, uh, Jules Daniel. So, Daniel, I'm sorry, uh, who received a vision from the Aeon Jesus who asked him to restore the Gnostic Church. Uh, there's been a lot of changes since then, particularly since Nag Hammadi was discovered in the 50s, but uh, our Gnostic churches today, many of them that pre- have apostolic succession, owe a lot to Dwanel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, just, just having that, um, you know, no matter how big, small, or influential it was, but but just having that establishment of of a Gnostic ecclesia, of just having having a church and, and a hierarchy and organization and services, is uh, so profoundly important. Um, where you know this tradition has died, been resurrected, gone underground, however you want to phrase it, but, but uh, just to think that uh, the, what a trailblazer the, the man was and to, to establish a, the, that church at, at that influential, important time in France's history, um, uh, that, you know, uh, we all owe him a debt, uh, uh, and I think that goes for just kind of people interested in esoteric stuff in general, even if they're not specifically Gnostic. And the fact that he also included both men and women among his clergy. Yes. Even at the level of the episcopate, yeah, like the um, uh, the, right up, they were uh, the what well, he called his bishops, Sophias, right? Or was that the his general term? The female, the female yeah. bishops were known as Sophias. Yes, Sophias, and of course, Taos were were, were the were the men. Um, and uh, as as I said in the um, or as we talked about in the um, uh, in the video show, there there weren't many churches at all uh, ordaining women. Uh, you know, definitely not liturgical ones, and yeah. uh, and a lot of the mainline Protestant ones weren't. Uh, the, the, you know, there was some Protestant churches ordaining women, but not very many. Uh, so that was uh, such a such a huge um, uh, thing in the uh, just in in the history of Western religion, I would say. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and so I think that that you know that I think that in and of itself was remarkable. And in fact, many of the not modern Gnostic churches, up until fairly recently, used the term Sophia for female bishops. That has changed. Mm. Uh, that 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 has changed in recent years, but that that was a tradition for quite some time. Yeah. 
Um, Father Tony or or uh, uh, Bishop Laney, do do we know much about Thuanao's actual theology and what his uh, his church taught? Because of course it was pre Nag Hammadi, so I'm um, you know I'm wondering how dogmatic was it, or you know how Gnostic was it? I I have heard it said I can't remember by who or when, but he actually got Valentinian Gnosticism fairly spot on, even though he didn't have the text that we have now. But well, Brother Iranius did a very good job of that. Um, for us, and we we can we can thank him for that certainly. I mean, he had we did not have the text that we have now, but he certainly did have many of the the original heresy hunters at least had the decency to want to be correct in their analysis. So they they preserved quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that this isn't exactly my area of expertise. We had a um, we had a series of uh, well, we had a lecture by um, the. Bishop for the AJC in the United States, uh, uh, Bishop Wilby, and he did a lecture for us at Conclave, I want to say 2011, I don't remember, um, a few years back, but he, he did a lecture on the, um, uh, on the restoration that, is, that was very good uh, and, and, um, and, and very moving, actually. So it, it's on the Joe and I Church YouTube channel. Um, and it goes into a lot of detail about these kinds of things. But yeah, my understanding is that they, they definitely, definitely did have a very kind of concrete theology and set of ritual practices and, and everything. And, and for the you know relatively short time that Dwanell was the head of the church, um, there were a lot of very kind of specific, uh, as, as Dr. Houston mentioned in the... Uh, in the in the video show that there's definitely there, there was definitely a, a gate you know to a barrier to entry um, and there's I'm sorry I'm a little bit distracted here Bishop Canterbury is back and so he might want to join us at this point so let's see if we can get him in here um, somebody else finish my point for me will you <laughs> Uh, yeah, as Father Tony was saying, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what he was saying. Um, so, will I start a new point? Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> join us, Bishop Canterbury. Join yeah. us. No, I remember what I was saying now. Actually, I'm sorry. Uh, so, yeah, there was there was definitely a, a set of of uh, criteria before somebody was allowed to enter. And for the most part, my understanding is it was a church of initiates in a very real sense. Like there weren't. Yeah. There weren't lay people to speak of. There may have been some who were kind of on the periphery, but almost everybody involved in that Restoration Church was a bishop, um, and that's just kind of how how that went. And uh, yeah, you know, that's the the model they they went with. Yeah. Well, it's not uncommon today for many um, both uh, Gnostic churches and in the Independent Sacramental movement as a whole. It's not unusual for churches to be, at the very least, very clergy heavy. Yeah. It's it's you know I I know. Um, when Bishop Canterbury uh, became a Martinist, you know, he talks about how it was almost expected that he would take minor orders in the associated Gnostic Church almost immediately. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you have some and that, lay that people, goes back but, to Duanel and and that crowd because there was um, between him and Papu and and some of the other uh, esotericists of that time. Um, and I think maybe spearheaded by Papu, but I don't, I'm not sure exactly. They, they were trying to, I think, create a grand unified order of everything, you know, where... Good luck with that. Well, no, and they, they were 
kind of successful to, to a certain <laughs> extent. You know, there was uh, Martinism and Egyptian Rite Freemasonry and the Gnostic Church were all very closely tied in together. Um, mm -hmm. And those were kind of the big esoteric movements in France at the time. Uh, and, and they were, you know, if you were a member of one at a certain point you know, during this window, you know, you were a member of all three. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, and 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 I, I can tell you guys um, that in Chicago, particularly in the '80s and '90s, that was very much the case, um, and it, to a certain extent, it still is. But it, you know, there was a huge overlap of various orders and the church as as well. Um, I know Tom Michael Bertio, for example, you know has has you know many many different groups that were all tied in with his with his current. Um, and you know, in, and to this day, there there are still pockets that are like that. Uh, there are some churches um, that have you know kind of backed away from that. Although, if you were to probably do a survey of their clergy, you'd find out that many of them do participate in the same esoteric orders, but they're not quite as tightly knit in yeah. with the church. Yeah, that's the case with our with the Joanite Church, with my church yeah. as well. I mean, there's there's an awful lot of Martinists in the Joanite Church, and there are an awful lot of Freemasons in the Joanite Church, but there is no official Martin. Martinism or Freemasonry right. as part of the Joanite Church. It's just that the symbol sets are, are fairly compatible and, and people find themselves wanting to be involved yeah. with all of it. Yeah, um, and it's the same thing, at least in, in the, my right, uh, the open right within the Oriental Apostolic Church of Damkar. We, we have one of the premises of my right is that you nobody is required to be a part of an esoteric group or order. We have no official ties, but certainly people are free to uh, participate in whatever whatever they're interested in participating on, on their own time. But, uh, yeah, that, that was not an unusual thing at all. And it, it was um, trying to uh, parse out these lineages was always a <laughs> unique experience. <laughs> I think uh, under uh, Johnny Bracco's leadership, though, he's, he's Talzinifis, and I cannot pronunciate anything. <laughs> Just wait. Let, let's hope we don't have to speak any French while talking about the French topic. You're much yes, closer that, to French-speaking people I, I than we am. are. Yeah, I'm wondering about that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. my French is lamentable. <laughs> but uh, I, I Just believe, don't put uh, any extra U's in it. Yes. <laughs> I, I believe under his leadership, I think you, you did have to be a Martinist to be in his church. And I think if you got to the rank of SI, you might have automatically been clergy or there was some kind of relationship like that. I don't like remember that. exactly, but yeah, there was some yeah. kind of relationship like that. Yeah. And, and I believe that became controversial later on. And, you know, there's some splits. Uh, I mean, maybe that's something we can get into. But, but of course, uh, from Twinell's church, there's many reconfigurations and, and splits in lineages. And, and one of them was over, you know, one of the churches said you had to be a Martinist. And, uh, and, um, and others said, well, no, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to be a Martinist and right. yada yada. So, um, yes. Uh, has, uh, has Bishop Canterbury, is he? Is he... Uh, he hasn't signed on yet. I suspect okay. he's getting settled. So, oh yes, yeah. I know, I know you're desperate to speak with him. Actually, yes. he is he, he is kind of an expert on this topic. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're going to get him get him on. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned, and I think kind of going back to uh, um, what happened in the video show, <clears throat> that there was a, a, uh, Dr. Houston alluded to a gap in uh, Dwanell's uh, history with um, uh, with the with the church. So. I just bumped the microphone. Uh, so it looks like Bishop Canterbury is at least a few minutes away. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, uh, and it's, it's a very interesting story, and, and I think I'd, I'd like to tell it now if I could. Please, please. <laughs> there, 
there is a um there's a it's my favorite story to tell about gnosticism in general and i often tell this story when i speak at uh, masonic lodges as well because there's a lot of overlap between uh freemasonry and and uh and, and gnosticism at this specific time and since really but um so Jules Duanel, right, founded the Gnostic Church, was very into it, obviously. He had fancy robes and, a, you know, a nice, you know, uh, following and everything. And, and for some strange reason, right, five years into this, uh, you know, restoration, he left. Mm -hmm. And he left because there was this dude going around France at the time uh, calling himself Leo Taxel. And okay. Leo Taxel was... Uh, well, according to according to him, he was an ex Freemason um, and uh, Catholic, and was very upset at all of the devil worship that was going on in Freemasonry at the time, mm. um, and by extension, the rest of kind of the esoteric world, uh, because there was there was a, a much closer relationship back then in France. So, essentially, Leo Taxel got the Catholic Church to pay for a speaking tour of sorts and would go around all over the all over Europe speaking about the dangers of Freemasonry and esotericism and how they were actually devil worshippers and the whole thing. And he wrote a book about it and I, I can't remember the name of the book, but that's not very important. Um, but he claims that there was a uh, um, that what happened at these very inner circle Masonic ceremonies with the, there was uh, ritual sex. And he claims that he ha had one of these women who was, uh, her name was Diana Vaughn and she was a descendant of Thomas Vaughn, the famous alchemist. Mm -hmm. And so she was apparently one of these women who was tricked, I guess, according to him into uh, ritual sex with the Freemasons at some of these Ooh. devil worship uh, rituals. And Excellent. I've been, I've been a Freemason for seven years and I've yet to see anything so cool, but um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not far enough in yet, right? But... <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Bazinga. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so oh. he would go on these tours and... Um, and and Duanel just bought the whole thing and said, "Oh my God, is that really happening?" And he didn't know, so he thought, "Okay, well, I'm I'm out. I'm out of Freemasonry. I'm out of the Gnostic Church. I'm out of Martinism. I'm not going to do any of this stuff anymore because I don't want to worship the devil." And so they would go around together, and I think there was some money exchanging hands. I think Duanel might have financed some of, uh, if I recall the story correctly, might have financed some of Taxel's um, travels. Mm -hmm. So Taxel essentially for years. Uh, on the on the Pope's dime, went around telling these stories and talking about Diana Vaughn, and eventually the the press started to catch wise and said, you know, you've been talking about this Diana Vaughn for a long time, but we've never met her. Yeah. Uh, would you would you produce her at a at a lecture or at a press conference or something, and we'll all meet? And so he, Taxel says, okay, uh, show up at this place at such and such a time, and I will produce Diana Vaughn, and she'll speak to you. So the day comes and everybody shows up with their little notepads and whatnot. <laughs> and uh, Taxel walks out on stage and says, I made it all up. It was totally a hoax. <laughs> and, you know, there's, uh, there's nothing to it. Uh, I was just really kind of, uh, I'm, I don't like the Catholic Church. I wanted to see if I could kind of pull one over on them and get them to pay for my travel for a while. Thank you very much, Mr. Pope. And uh, I'm going to go home now. 
And that was it. And so then at that point, Dwinell comes kind of crawling back to the his Gnostic church that he left and says, can I come back and play? And Synesius says, yeah, but you got to go stand in the corner. That's, <laughs> well, that that's a proper approach in my opinion, but yeah, yes. Yeah. So, but I mean, just as a human story, right? As kind yeah. of this, you know, this guy who was so convinced of this, this Gnostic church, and he had these visions at the seance of, of the Aeon Jesus himself. Yep. And only five short years later, gave it all up. You know, it could happen to any of us, I suppose. Well, you know, yeah. there was a time that I left uh, the Gnostic church and esoteric practice for a very short, it was a relatively short period of time. Uh, and it wasn't a hostile thing. I wasn't trying to expose anybody. I kept, you know, good up good relationships with people. But, um, you know, there was a, enough that was troubling me in my life. And um, it felt safer to go back to that. And I, you know, I've continued to maintain friendships on both sides of the of the of the aisle. Um, you know, it, it, it sometimes a, a traumatic event can sometimes, you know, cause that to happen. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you know, I think going around and making up stories or supporting people who are making up stories is kind of a different issue. We saw what happened with the satanic panic that took place yeah. in the eighties and nineties that, you know, really messed up a lot of people's lives. Um that led to some really great uh, X Files episodes. <laughs> it, it it sure did, but there are people who ended up in jail. There are people yeah. who ended up uh, losing their homes, their families, their children, their businesses. It was you know not a good situation, and it ultimately it it serves to discredit religious people. Sure, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, when people make up this kind of stuff. Right, but there's also plenty of stuff that actual religious people do that discredits religious people, too. So. Oh, there's plenty of that, and, and, and we, we were talking a little bit about that earlier. If you go online, you'll find, find plenty of stuff that people actually do um, that's yeah. bad. That We don't need any more. We don't need any lies. <laughs> yeah. But I, I really love that story, too, Father, and, I, and I'm glad you like uh, uh, you like telling it, and and it is it is that very human. Well, you know, it's the kind of thing perhaps in other religious communities that you would try to that you try to hush up, right? Because we we do owe an enormous debt to this man, and we do have lineages um, in all the Gnostic churches have lineages that go back to him. So sometimes we want to make perfect saints of our of our forebears, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, to just to acknowledge that they're human and they have these failings and they have these spiritual journeys, uh, I think uh, uh, um, is is a really touching thing and a really important thing. And I'm glad most Gnostics are you know fine talking about it. Yeah, it's true. And and we even I mean, despite Dwinell's lapse in in judgment or whatever you want to call it, you know, we still certainly respect him and revere him for what he did because he certainly did something that nobody else yeah. did up until that point. Um, you know, we have uh, we have the Early 1800s, we have Fabre Palaprat, who started the Joanite Church, or the, what he called the Church of Christ, which was a Gnostic church, but that didn't really outlast his, his death. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the Gnostic Church of Duanel, uh, in, in some way, shape, or form, definitely continues to this day. So, uh, you know, you got you to gotta give him his respect for that. And we still use... Um, from the from the seance that launched the restoration, we that uh, that phrase from the Joanite liturgy and in countless other Gnostic churches liturgies that the one has brought forth the one, then one, and these three are but one. That comes directly from that seance. That was what I think Sophia said to Duanel. Um, the one has brought forth the one, then one, and these three are but one. Restore my Gnostic church. That was the next line, right? And yeah. so that was the 
the institution of the restoration, I guess you'd say, which is a weird phrase when you think about it. Yeah. And well, what's is the next line? The demiurge will be powerless the, yeah, to stop you. Exactly. It's a very moving piece, and and I think there is something to to its visions. And I would like to uh, 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 Bishop Heller is is very adamant that that the initial the the initial first. Um, Vision that Duanau had didn't happen at a séance. So he was in a, he was in a private chapel at a, at a Theosophist friends of his. Okay, so I'm yeah. just I'm not I'm just putting that out there because he's very <laughs> he uh, it's something that that he's he's reiterated a, a few times. Uh, however, so that said, I, and of course that's kind of the I think in a way to combat how kooky it may sound, but I, I don't think you know visions are visions. Yeah. And, um, yeah. My my impression is actually is, is that is correct is that his initial vision wasn't through a séance, but then his uh, his later visions were through séances. So sure. there is a kernel of truth there, and that was again uh, when you're talking about time and place. Uh, the, uh, we're in the you know late 1800s, early 1890s. Uh, séances, everybody was doing them. Oh yeah, uh, it was it was this huge uh, not yeah. just a French movement, but coast to coast, right? So our grandparents, our great not our grandparents, our great grandparents, great great grandparents. Everybody's going to their parlors and doing seances. It was just, uh, it was the, uh, uh, the monopoly of its time. Well, the Ouija board, the Ouija board is, you know, still put out, I think, by Parker Brothers. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yep. And um, but you know, I used to do seances with my grandmother when I was a little kid. Um, oh. I, I was a weird little occultist as a as a small child. It's kind of peculiar when you think about it, but. Um, yeah, at table turning. I think they sometimes will call seances. So it, it was. It was regardless. There was some kind of a practice, and uh, this connection was made. I I find it very moving, in that um, you know we have we talk about the Bogomils, the, the Cathars. You know that there has always been this documented. I might met historically documented thread where it just can't be kept down. It can't be suppressed. And you, you you periodically have these movements, or you have um, some of the communications with Edmund Kelly and, and Dr. John Dee that resemble non Kamadi scriptures. I mean, you know, you have these things that just continue to pop up, and it's just one of those things that I do find incredibly moving, um, but that also gives me a great deal of comfort. Mm-hmm. As when I look over history and, and see how this cannot be restrained. Right, and it's very interesting to see the at the various times when this stream popped back up and what kind of historical information the people had access to at any given time. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you've got the, uh, the original Gnostics, we'll see the, the OGs, right? Yeah. And then we've got the, the kind of middle Gnostics that I call the middle Gnostics, the, the Bogomils and the Cathars, um, who really didn't have access to any of the original Gnostics teachings directly that we know of. Um, mm. You know, there may have been some oral teachings that get past town here and there, but um, they, they certainly didn't have the Nag Hammadi library or even some of the um, earlier stuff like the Pistosophia and some of the other earlier texts that pop up. But those, those things really definitely look Gnostic and they have a lot of Gnostic things in them that are, that are just kind of there. It's in the air and people can pluck it out of the air if they want to. And then you have the, the restoration. Um, you have Palaprat up through the restoration and they had some Gnostic texts, but not a lot. And only if you really knew where to look. And then, uh, and then we come to today where we have a lot more stuff and hopefully more stuff being discovered all the time. Uh, and so it's very, it's very interesting to see how people, uh, how people deal with that, you yeah. know, and, and how people have the information that they have and what they do with it. 
Yeah, and, and we even, and you know, in addition to having that additional information that comes forward, we have the spontaneous uh, intercessions and, and inspirations. Uh, we have people like Philip K. Dick, who have you know their own set, you know, their own their own uh, yeah, but flavor of Philip K. Dick, who who had a spontaneous experience of sorts, was was reading the Nag Hammadi Library or reading the Gnostic texts. Probably not the Nag Hammadi Library exactly, but was reading the Gnostic texts before he had his experience and he was familiar with the Gnostics. He was, he was, but he's also produced, he pr produced his own original work. Oh, absolutely. As, yeah, yeah. as, as well. I mean, he, I absolutely, he, he, he had the access to the Gnostic text, but what I find interesting is not just the rediscovery of things, but also the new things that come in that, that, that are being brought into play, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. I, I, and I find um, uh, when you're talking about the sort of, Sort of the hope and the uh, the beauty of 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 uh, of it is that uh, is that a, and and kind of what makes me think that there is something to Gnosticism. I mean, there's many reasons why I think there there is, but is <laughs> is that it is that it just can't be kept down, right? It's it's not a particularly large movement at the moment, but it's um it's uh, it's very influential in the arts. It's very influential in the media, uh, and uh, it just keeps uh, two thousand years, and it just keeps bubbling up. Sometimes it's wreck. Uh, connections to to the OGs, as uh, as uh, uh, Father Tony put it, sometimes with less direct connections, but it's uh, it's uh, it, it just keeps coming back. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, you say it's small, and I, I I guess it is in a certain sense. But if you look at, I'm just looking at our analytics on our YouTube channel right now, and we've had 40 subscribers in the last 28 days. Yeah. Wow! So that's and that's pretty average for us for the last couple of months. I mean, it's it's been it's been growing steadily. I think that. You know, I, I, there's a lot of people out there who are interested in what we do. Yeah, yeah and, I think there are. And they don't, and maybe there are a lot of people who would be interested if they knew what, if they knew it existed, you know? And I mean, it, we've, we all have had that experience at one point. There are none of us here who were born Gnostics, right? None mm -hmm. of us here who are born into a Gnostic family. We all at some point discovered Gnosticism through the Nag Hammadi Library or through popular culture or through something else, you know, some other esoteric order and said, oh, yeah. You know that's that's the thing that I've been looking for. That's it, and it's just uh, you know we and we have people like Dwanell and the restorers, restorers. Yeah, I <laughs> guess to thank for that. We do, we 100%. do. Um, yeah, I, I find that, I, I, and I do believe that, that that you're right, Father, and and it is um, uh, it, it it is growing. Sometimes I like to get a little misty-eyed and romantic, and you know, talk about that in a way. This is this is the next great restoration, uh, and I really think that there is there is more undiscovered Gnostics out there than we we give credit to, who are probably going to to start coming more to it, uh, and um, and people who know me, you know, when I go to Conclave or, or when I meet kind of uh, Gnostically or esoterically minded people. What I love to hear is, is what I call their origin stories. Yes. Going, back to, uh, yep. going back to our superhero show last week, I'd like to hear their, their secret origins. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. And I, I think they also consider the fact that that you know, there were there have been various esoteric schools that had that had you know certainly Gnostic components to them that also had great influence. The people who may adhere to those particular esoteric schools may not use the word Gnostic to describe themselves, but when you look at what they believe, uh, it's there's certainly a great compatibility. Or in the case of say the Fourth Way, um, there's some pretty hardcore similarities. You yeah. know, and some people have said that Gurdjieff's Fourth Way is Gnosticism without the trappings, and I, I'm inclined to to agree with that mm -hmm. but and when you consider that many of these esoteric schools uh, had a significant influence on people in the arts mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, particularly people in the arts. Um, the influence is actually perhaps far, you know, there's cast a farther net, further net than we actually re- realize. Yeah. Uh, So having been inspired by our last week's podcast uh, and, and, you know, video show and podcast where we talked about comic books, I read a a bunch of um, a bunch of issues of The Invisibles. I'm up through volume. I just finished volume three. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm burning through them. And so uh, and and to find that art, I think art is really a, a great entry vector for Gnosticism, for people. I, you know, the, the the Invisibles, if anybody wants to, you know, point to a, a modern Gnostic epic, I think the Invisibles is, is really it. Um, that and the Matrix and all those other things. But, um, and then Jonathan, you sent me a, uh, a paper by Alan Moore mm-hmm. that was very interesting that um, if, if one of us remembers, we should put it in the show notes. Um, uh, yeah, I'd like to see it myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the gist of it was that you know, who was about occultism specifically, uh, Alan Moore, certainly well-versed in modern occultism, um, who, and he, he was kind of, it, it was almost kind of an iconoclastic kind of a thing that, you know, the, um, the, the kind of Masonic lodge trappings of modern esoteric orders, um, is it, at best, uh, ineffective and at worst, uh, hindering people's actual search okay. for these kind of esoteric truths. And um, the the reaction to look at esotericism as a science isn't right either. Um, that those are both in you know the incorrect approach to occult practice, and that art is the the only way to effectively you know, look at esotericism in the modern age, and to treat esoteric work as an art and as as a creative art in that, you know, instead of just a, a recipe to follow or a set of experiments to be done and, and checked and the whole thing. Yeah. It was very I, interesting. I believe he straight up says, you know, the magic, magic and the occult is art. You know, it, it, is, mm-hmm. a sub, it is a genre of art the same way painting, music and anything else is. And uh, I think that's definitely influenced, you know, my personal esoteric views. Um, and uh, I'm kind of coming back to this topic. I mean, this is a show I, I would love to have, but I probably would not be able to find an expert. But the, um, the you know, the never banal- saw this before. Yeah, never thought this before exactly, but but the Dwell and rest, uh, restoration really happened in you know they called the Belle Epoque the the golden age of mm-hmm. there's something I probably said incorrectly, uh, the golden age of, of France and uh, it was just uh, an amazing time uh, and uh, for 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 artists philosophers uh, and uh, and and the great composers and and many of these people were you know. Um, uh, because you know the church wasn't that public, I, I bet um, I bet you a, a lot of these uh, great artists probably were members or knew of the one else church, and if not, they were members of Allied Rights. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so you may never have heard of of Gnosticism or uh, Jules Duanel, but you definitely would have heard and been influenced and loved some of the amazing art that came out of that era. The the only person I know offhand, and again, you know, I'm not the expert, is is Eric Satie, uh, who's one of my favorite composers. And if people don't know him, go search him out. You know, uh, but... I don't care for him actually. It's, <laughs> I, I've I own oh, I own a collected works, right? And I saw like pretty much everything that he wrote. I I own a recording of, um, and I just don't. It just doesn't. Eh, I you know, <laughs> but I know he's the go-to, right? He's the go-to guy. He wrote a piece called the Nociens about you know about Gnostic or a series of about uh, called Nociens, yeah. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. 
But he, he wasn't alone, so if he's not your cup of no, tea, I know. <laughs> all, those, all those great artists, and uh, there's a painting school called the Symbolists at the time, mm-hmm. whose art I really like, and they were deeply influenced by this, and uh, I know Monsignor Stratford, he's talked a little bit about it, how, you know, this this really was a movement of, of artists. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I see it. I see it, you know, peeking through today, and and obviously you've got people who don't call themselves Gnostic who who create Gnostic works. I think the majority of the really good, juicy Gnostic stuff we have today in the popular culture were created by people who wouldn't call themselves Gnostics. Um, yeah. You know, the Wachowskis and and uh, and and Grant Morrison and Alan Moore and, and those other folks who who do that kind of thing, but. I see it every now and then peeking through. Monsignor Scott uh, Rasbach from Portland is uh, working on a novel um, called uh, called Hipster Abraxas, which yes. is uh, which has been very interesting to follow so far, <laughs> um, and and all kinds of other little things. You know, Jeffrey Kupperman is a prolific artist and, and does a lot of interesting things. Although he wouldn't call himself a Gnostic either, but um, you know, and, and there's all kinds of. Uh, Frater Ashen Chasen, you know, he's a very crafty dude, and and he kind of follows the the grimoire model, but he's uh, you know certainly creating things outside of just esoteric rituals. So he doesn't just follow the esoteric ritual as laid down. So it's, it's a it's a brave new world, <laughs> kind of like the Wild West as as far as that's concerned. And I'm kind of inspired now too, and I've got a couple of ideas, and, and people probably don't know that I'm. I'm trained as an artist. I have a degree in art, and um, so I I don't do much of it lately because most of what I do is <laughs> work my nine to five and do this. But uh, I would I would definitely like to. St- I have some things in my head that I think I need to get out, and I think art is the way to do it. I think yeah. it is too. You know, it was funny um, after last week's show, uh, Brother Jonathan and I uh, were chatting, and he brought up that there was this Batman, the uh, Batman Gothic um, comic series that really profoundly moved me when I was younger. And he brought up the fact that it was, in fact, written by Grant Morrison. Mm. And uh, I guess uh, Brother Jason uh, didn't realize that during the show, and neither one of us realized it, but that, in fact, Grant Morrison, who is a ceremonial magician, um, wrote this, and this particular comic series had really stuck with me through the years. It moved me very, very deeply. So I think that you are definitely on to something, Father, with this, because people, um, you know, heaven and earth may pass away, but art doesn't. Art will endure in the sense that you can have your rituals, you can write about these things, we can preach homilies, but that may not move a person the way that a piece of art will. Yeah. And have that stirring thing that does not go away. Yeah, yeah, and it, you come out with a tangible object at the end of it too, just kind of nifty. Yeah, right, and 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 that was one of Alan Moore's points that, you know, you do your ritual and you, you know, draw down the moon or whatever it is that you're doing, and at the end of the day you put it all away and you don't necessarily have anything to show for it, and and it's not in the sense of that you know you can prove that magic works, quote unquote, but that the the act of doing the magic and doing and and doing it in the form of art is the magic in and of itself and will produce a tangible result, whether it's just the art or, you know, or you're going to buy a sports car. You know, I don't know what it, <laughs> if that's your, if that's what you're trying to do with it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a really important thing to be considering um, in moving forward in Gnostic ministries is what are we doing to support the artists among mm-hmm. us? Yeah. 
Um, I think that that, you know, and, and Father, being that you're a trained artist, uh, that might be, well, just a hint there, but uh, <laughs> for you to pursue. But I, I think that the, the, the importance of that particular type of expression uh, can, can, cannot be overstated. It's, it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, so what for we're the doing. listeners, you know, if you're uh, – <laughs> Bishop Peterson, you're posting to Facebook while we're doing the show. Uh, for those of you who are <laughs> – I'll drag it into the window. For those of you who can uh, – who can, who are, are Patreon supporters, put a, uh, a tarot card <laughs> – a tarot card of the fool with Mr. T's head. And it says, I pity the fool on the it's fantastic. So subscribe and become a patron and you'll be able to see all kinds of fa- fantastic things that Bishop Laney posts while we're doing the show. Um, or my cats showing <laughs> That's up. That's true, the cats. <laughs> the cats. They can hear them howling in the video show, so they got that as a freebie. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, at any rate, so the restoration, right? Where do we – we went off on a tangent. That was such a good episode last week. We had it again this week. We had it as we yes. begin this week. We, we got to get him back on the show, and, uh, and maybe in a few months, and you know, narrow n- narrow something down because that was, I think, something that enlivened all of us. It really did. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, as for the Gnostic restoration, I, I think that um, you know there has there have been uh, some people who have criticized the apostolic Gnostic churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the, you know, for holding to uh, various types of Christian rituals or even the ecclesiastical structure, um, and you know, one of the things that I tend to point out is that first of all, nobody's forcing you to participate. Uh, yeah. Nothing stopping you know, nothing stopping you from starting your own Gnostic group in your own practice. And I think that's quite legitimate if if you choose to do that. Um, but the other thing is, is that this was this is not something that. A bunch of people just started doing back in you know in the 2000s. This is this has been going on for a while. Um, it was something that people did you know be, even before Nagamati was discovered. And that there actually is. I mean, it's a relatively young tradition, but it is still a it is still a tradition. It's been around for quite a while. Yeah, yeah that's true. And uh, you know, I was thinking about this today when thinking about the show that. Um, that's one of the challenges that I think modern uh, ecclesiastical Gnosticism faces just in general is that it's trying to take essentially modern Christian, you know, the uh, ecclesiastical structure, um, whether it's kind of Roman Catholic or Episcopal or, or some, you know, or even Orthodoxy, uh, some, you know, some semblance of what that looks like in the modern age and trying to bring forward the Gnostic thought from antiquity, uh, you, you have a real – well, they, there can be conflict there. There can be straight-out conflict where sometimes the uh, – well, frequently, <laughs> the ideas of modern Christianity uh, don't quite line up with the ideas of Gnosticism. I mean, if that were true, we'd all be regular old Christians, right? So <laughs> – so it, it is it is a very interesting challenge, and I'm not I, I, I'm not going to claim that we've solved it and that it's absolutely 100 percent correct. But I think that to use the yeah, maybe use is the wrong term, but to incorporate those symbols and to try and make them line up together um, is what has been done 
since well since uh, since before the uh, the original gnostics right because the yeah. original gnostics were doing the same thing they were looking around at what existed um be it uh you know the the uh egyptian religion or greek religion or the emerging christianity and certainly judaism and saying okay what do we got here and what works and what can we make fit with our world view and they they did it, and the Cathars did it, and the Bogomils did it, and and I, and Dwanel certainly did it, uh, and and I, and we continue to do it to this day. And and I don't think that's something that we need to be ashamed of. Yeah. Um, sometimes our detractors, and I've I've seen this not recently, but a few years ago, um, somebody was saying, you know. Telling the story of telling the story of the restoration and saying, and all this happened at a séance, and I bet they didn't tell you that at conclave. And I'm like, well, actually, yes, they did. Actually, we had a whole lecture about it, and you know, I don't think it's something to be ashamed of that all that this stuff happened in the the spirit of the age, as it were. That yeah, it happened using the technologies, if you want to call it that, of spiritism, which was the way things were being done in late 1800s in France. And, yeah. you know, the spiritism, I mean, certainly you're going to have charlatans in any spiritual tradition, but sure. the spiritism, um, in, for many people, was very likely a genuine expression of a need to connect with the divine. Um, and that was not being necessarily being offered within other churches at that period of time. So, um, you know, poo-pooing that, but saying that it's okay to meditate for hours on end, really? <laughs> You know, uh, are, are we now starting to point fingers at different people's spiritual practices yeah. when you go ahead and you do something that might be perceived as equally useless? Um, you know, come on, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimacy <laughs> has always been in the eye of the beholder, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I have no problem. Absolutely no problem with somebody coming forward and say, yes, I am very inspired by Gnosticism. I, I see a great deal here that has great meaning for me, um, but I don't want to be part of an apostolic structure. I don't want there to be clergy. I don't want priests. I don't want bishops or anything like that. And I would say, Godspeed, what can I do to help you? <laughs> you know, I, I have no problem with that. I'm operating the way I'm operating. Um, and other people can, can do the same, and I have no issue with that. I do think that there is, a, there is something distinct in this particular current. And I think that by necessity, our structure is going to produce a certain type of, of Gnostic spirituality. But I'm very open to the idea that there are other forms of Gnostic spirituality. Right. I always describe Gnosticism as a family of religious traditions. Uh -huh. Yes. You know, that there's a uh, there's a group of religious traditions that, that have at its core the pursuit of Gnosis. Um, they don't they don't all look Christian, they don't all look Catholic, you know, sometimes they're you know, there's the Sufis and there's the Mandaeans and there's all kinds of religions that fall into the category of Gnosticism. Um, and there's all kinds of people who are pursuing Gnosis on their own without any religious tradition. And that's yes. Gnosticism too. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, this is one of the reasons why the the content on this channel is is so broad. You know, it's and it's it, being now owned by the Apostolic Joe and I Church. It's not just what the Apostolic Joe and I Church would recognize as Gnosticism, but that we have, you know, a very wide variety of, of things. Um, and yeah. So I, I think that's I think that's important to say. I think that a lot of people see what we do 
and say, oh, you know, that doesn't look like it would appeal to me, or I have a lot of strong feelings about stuff that looks churchy because of uh, a trauma that I experienced in the past, and, uh, you know, that's great. Oh, uh, go, yeah. go find something that works for you, or if you don't, if something, if you can't find something that works for you, create it. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I often use uh, the exact same thing. I often use the same language. Gnosticism is 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 a family of traditions. Um, going back to to the restoration, well, kind of staying on this topic of the the sort of uh, churchier liturgical high church Gnosticism, something that I think that that it's important to remember. Um, and this is kind of a theory that I have that I would have liked to have talked to Doctor Houston about, but we didn't have time. Is is I really see Dwayne Ellis Church and and the Gnostic churches in a way of being. Um, acts of both rebellion and reconciliation because there's this long history in France of, of anti-clericism uh, anti uh, and opposition to the Catholic Church even though it is one of the most Catholic of countries. So uh, I really see the, the Gnostic movement kind of picking up those anti-clerical threads uh, and, and kind of weaving them in, into something into something new, right? You're, you're, both, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're both reconciling the high church heritage and the Christianity of the country, uh, but in a way it's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, um, kind of a rebellion against the power structures of the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're ordaining women. Uh, you know, they're yes. bringing that, that energy and that magic that was kind of contained within the Catholic Church and kind of spreading it around. And that's kind of the impression I got from, uh, from Paolo Pratt's church church as well right it's uh you know they're 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 going from from the church of peter to the uh, church of uh of john and uh kind of looking for this alternative stream of mystical christianity of gnostic christianity that's there under the surface uh so yeah it's both rebellion and reconciliation and that's that's my that's my theory uh tied into into the restoration is is it is picking up those uh that that french anti-religion uh uh stuff that's in the air you know, I think that's interesting also that they were ordaining women, even though maybe many of the Freemasons that might have been the natural members did not accept women into Freemasonry. And I know there's been co-masonry and that sort of thing, but the regular Freemasons would not have. So I think that the fact that women were ordained is is really remarkable, and I, that would be something I think it's worthy of a study on its own, that decision to yeah. to bring women in as clergy um even at that at the level of the episcopate i think is very important i like and I, i'm very interested in the fact that the sophias and the bishops were paired uh mm -hmm. together for ministry which i think has a a lot of i think i think i think it's a really interesting model and I, i'd love to see more research in that area one of the things that you brought up brother jonathan has been the the whole thing with the Church of Peter versus Church of, of, of John and uh, periodically having been around the esoteric community for a long time, you'll hear references to the hidden church, the secret church, this is the real church or whatnot. And the thing that I tend to find exasperating about that is that it kind of pits the two against each other. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that that is in and of itself problematic. Um, they were batting for the same team. Peter yes. and John, and um, James, we're not so sure about, but uh, we know that, that that Peter and John were. And I, I think that it's important to keep in mind that you, yes, you have an exoteric church, but that the fact that it's exoteric does not diminish its efficacy. It doesn't Definitely. diminish um, its its relevance and its importance. That this the so-called secret or hidden church there is. There's a certain line of development which is very important. 
but one could even argue that it's equally important for that exoteric structure um, to exist because it, for many people, that has been a structure that's been able to facilitate um, form spiritual formation. And yeah. that can be harder to do sometimes in esoteric traditions um, for a number of reasons. One is that the esoteric traditions uh, can be very small, so there may not be as many resources available. Um, that uh, the esoteric traditions can oftentimes uh, be based very relationship-based, and if you happen to not get along with your local esoteric teacher um, or within that local esoteric lodge or group, you got a problem. Whereas going to your, your local Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopal parish where there's 300 people, well, you may not like everybody, but you can function in that. So I think that, um, that both are needed and both are important. Um, and I, yeah, I guess part of what tends, what has known to irritate me is when people will talk about, well, we have the true secret mm -hmm. church um, mm -hmm. without an acknowledgement. And the head of John the Baptist and the Holy Grail while you're at it. Yeah. Is the head of John the Baptist in the Holy Grail, or are they two separate <laughs> things? I think the Holy Grail is in the head of John the Baptist. It's super gross. That is really sick. Yeah. Okay. Talk about a comic book. Now, there you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that, that using that kind of language has not helped the modern Gnostic cause. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, maybe my phraseology was a little bit off. Um, no, I, your, your uh, phraseology was fine. Okay. I just, yeah, I, I, I just sparked I, this up. I, I understand what He's you're Canadian, saying. He's Canadian. He has to apologize. I know. I have to apologize anyways. And, and, and basically what you just said is another one of my, my favorite rants sometimes when you're, when you're with people <laughs> who might be interested in Gnosticism or the esoteric and, uh, and you, you will hear a long diatribe against mainstream religion or the Catholic Church or – and it's like really, you know, like the when, – when you look to the great – you know, in a way, I, I look to the great Catholic mystics and, you know, I, I count them as one of, one of mine. You know what I mean? Well, they, they were part of the esoteric church in, in a symbolic sense. You know, St. John of the Cross was, uh, was a member of – of the inner church, whether he likes it or not. Um, uh, but, but of course, we'd never have these great mystics if it wasn't for uh, uh, the, the, the so-called exoteric church. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said that, uh, Bishop Laney, because I, uh, I have sort of a similar diatribe, mm -hmm. and, I, and I have sort of heard kind of similar diatribes from people. Uh, or, sorry, the opposite diatribe. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and I think it has, I think it does kind of hurt the Hurt, uh, hurt modern Gnosticism. I think, in a sense, when we talk about the, the 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 Church of John versus the Church of Peter, or the secret or the esoteric Church versus the exoteric Church, I mean, this is it. To my mind, I mean, there may be historical lineages there; they may not be. That's not what's important to me. To me, it is there are symbols within a larger myth. Yeah. And I think that this is true that it goes and it, it far transcends Christianity even. Yeah. That there are always going to be certain people who are going to um, who are going to be esoteric in the sense of being they're going to be secret. They're going to be more private, and they are going to represent a heart where there's going to be a larger structure that serves as a legitimate framework for people for other people to draw them in and for their own formation. Does that seem like a good place to stop? Because we're coming close to the end here, unless anybody has anything real quick they want to bring up. I think that's, uh, that's all I got. All right. That's all I got. So I think the moral of the story today is read more comic books, everybody. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, if you see somebody going around talking about Freemasonry and the devil, 
then um, maybe yeah. you shouldn't leave your Gnostic church to go and follow that dude. Not a good idea. You have to go sit in the corner, even yeah. if you founded the church yourself. Yeah, that's right. No, you go to bed without any supper. Bad bishop. <laughs> Alrighty. So all that being said, uh, then uh, please become a patron if you haven't already. I know that there are lots of people out there who listen to this podcast and have not yet become a patron. If you can spare a couple of cents uh, for every time we put out a podcast or a video show, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, for everybody who is listening along at home, we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License, and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.